1: I'm increasingly comfortable with the notion that I don't know it all, but I can figure it out. The toughest part for most people is to take the first step. And so I take the first step and I will continue until I hit something where I say this doesn't make sense. Oftentimes when we talk about entrepreneurship, we see where the arrow landed and then draw a bullseye around it and say, this was my intent the whole time. Aren't I a genius? And that's very rarely true. It's messier than they believe. My name is Naveen Gupta, and I'm a modern minority. Welcome to Modern
2: Minorities. This is a show about work and life, told through the lens of what makes each of us different.
3: I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City.
2: And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee.
3: Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world.
2: It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority.
3: This is a show about all of you, for all of us.
2: On today's show, we're talking to Naveen Gupta. But first, Sharon, I gotta ask, how's your summer going?
3: Uh, It's September, dude. Summer's over and the kids are back in school. Did you at least squeeze in a vacation? Um, no. I run a business. I co-host a hit podcast. <laughs> Did you?
2: Wait, you're co-hosting another podcast? <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah actually you know we only had a couple weeks left on our parental leave before we go back to work and the kids start school so we actually decided to make a quick escape to the beach
3: oh that sounds so amazing and relaxing
2: you clearly do not remember what it's like to have young kids sharon because i
3: would not describe an
2: all-day beach road trip with two kids to be uh quote-unquote relaxing
3: you're right i was just being generous (laughs) did you get any good reading in
2: Oh, yeah. I totally got started on this narrative story of the South Asian partition of the 1940s, researching my next project. And then I picked up a graphic novel series about a transdimensional dystopic future.
3: What? Don't you know how to read anything fun and happy? (sighs) Okay.
2: So I did sneak in a read from our latest sponsor, the new book *Idol Gossip*.
3: Wait, wait, wait! Is this the part where we get to do an ad read? Uh, yeah,
2: dude, because we've totally <laughs> made it. But also, it's an awesome ad read about *Idol Gossip*, an awesome book by Alexander Lee Young that gives an inside look at a K-pop academy.
3: Ooh. Wait, do we meet BTS in the book? And more importantly, why does this all sound really familiar?
2: Probably because the author Young happens to also be a producer of the New York Times The Daily podcast, and she did an episode of one of my favorite podcasts, Radio Lab, on the K-pop paparazzi. But oh, really, Sharon, BTS?
3: Yeah, there's just something really mesmerizing about those guys.
2: Let me guess, you're totally on Team Sugar.
3: No, I'm Team Jin all the way. But wait, did you say K-pop paparazzi and K-pop academy?
2: Oh well, look, that's just the thing about idol gossip. It's about Alice a Chinese-American girl, who you can probably relate to, who moves to Seoul with her family to pursue her K-pop dreams. And it's a really great story about her training for her own K-pop debut. But
3: Roman, I didn't take you for a K-pop fan.
2: I'm a man of many layers, Sharon. I mean, I'm smooth like butter, a criminal undercover.
3: Oh my god. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? Dude, don't
2: judge me. Even one of my podcast heroes and Radio Lab host and producer Jad Abelbrot. I
3: think you mean future modern minorities guest that doesn't know it yet. Sharon,
2: if you can make that happen, I will stop bugging you about watching Warrior.
3: Deal, I'm on okay. it.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, even Jad from Radio Lab loved Idol Gossip and said that it's a quote smart and sassy K-pop rabbit hole. He each page thrums with stage fright, scandal, and a healthy dose of sweetness and joy.
3: Okay, so this book seems way more at my alley than Warrior or any of those other nerdy comic books that you're always trying to get me to read from your other podcast.
2: I think you mean my other hit podcast, <laughs> <But> dude, <laughs> Idol Gossip actually has everything. It's a coming of age tale with multicultural family drama. It's got delicious gossip with heart. It's about discovering your passions and real life superpowers.
3: It features sibling shenanigans and academic achievement. And it
2: even has culture clashes, egos, and extreme K-pop training to take your talents to the next level while illuminating the idol fan relationship.
3: And focusing on the power of one group united under a single cause. This sounds a lot like a good episode of Modern Minorities.
2: Maybe we should have the author, Alexander Lee Young, on the podcast.
3: Oh, good idea. I'd love to meet her. Okay, I just did it. Really?
2: You booked the guest that fast?
3: No, silly. I bought a copy of Idol Gossip available wherever you get books and things. Ooh,
2: one-tap ordering. Super dangerous, dude.
3: <laughs> kind of like the secret world of K-pop which you can dive deep into by reading Idol Gossip, published by Walker Books US, now available wherever books are sold. Dude, you are such a sellout. Wait, did you just judge me for reading that line? We have sponsors. It's not selling out. We need to represent our favorite book publishing sponsors properly so they'll keep coming back for the modern minorities bump.
2: <laughs> and we actually do like the products that we choose to have as sponsors. And technically, we are not big enough to these sellouts yet. But when you got a dream big. Kind of like the main character in Idle Gossip by Alexander Lee Young, available in bookstores now. <laughs> Hush. <laughs> okay, okay. So back to this week's guest, Naveen Gupta. Naveen's a longtime friend, and he's an entrepreneur
3: with a lot of curiosity. He is. And what was interesting about Naveen, who I first called Navin accidentally. No, you, um, you, you called him Navin. Navin. <laughs> Navin. That was it. <laughs> Navin. Um, Sharone. Yeah, that's me. It's totally me. Is that when you ask him where he's from, he doesn't actually get to his roots, as I would call them, right, until maybe three or four questions in. And our discussion kind of reflected that too. There was very little discussion about what it's like to be an Indian American as an entrepreneur. So that's fascinating. It's like two generations in as an American, what is life like at that point?
2: Yeah, and that's kind of the fun of this show. It isn't always about the ethnic story or the gender angle. Sometimes it is. And, you know, Naveen and I have known each other for years. We've only kind of recently reconnected professionally and personally, but we go deep and we go off the deep end on a lot of concepts in politics and spirituality and business because he's worked on a lot of different things and has a the innate curiosity and kind of what leads him to decisions and choices and projects. It's just, it's a really interesting one. So we hope you enjoy our conversation with our friend Naveen. <laughs> welcome to the pod it's great to have you here great to be here Robin. so you're infamous in some circles but who are you before the current incarnation of you like can you tell us a story from your childhood
1: yeah sure when i was in the fifth or sixth grade i went to space camp
2: texas or florida california okay. and,
1: it, and it wasn't like a nasa affiliated thing i think they just called it space camp and <laughs> kids would get together and play with rockets and like some, some budding entrepreneur <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly But one of the days we went up on this hill and it was called Glider Hill. And it was this place that was overlooking this large canyon where people would take these large gliders that had a wingspan of like eight to 10 feet and fly them in the canyon. And it was so awesome. Like we climbed up to the top of this hill and my parents always teased me that growing up, I would get lost a lot because I would focus in on looking at one thing and the rest of the world would completely disappear for me. And I was up on Glider Hill, focused in on this one plane and everyone else on the hill in my class was like, oh, no, watch. And apparently another glider had lost control and was swooping down right onto where we were all standing. And so me being completely focused on this other glider did not see this. And the glider hit me in like the propeller hit my face. It was like a big thing. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I I was fine, but I remember being so totally stunned. And the whole staff who was putting on this faux space camp was totally shocked. They were like seeing the legal bills stack up and they were like, oh my gosh, we've killed this kid. But yeah, uh, on a dime, that's my that's my story about my childhood.
3: That's so traumatic. And how old were you when this happened?
1: I must have been in like the sixth or seventh grade. So I was pretty young.
3: Wow. Do you have a fear of flying now or fear of things? Gliders <laughs> hitting you in the face? Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: no, and, and I'm pretty sure that did nothing to like make me more aware of my surroundings. So <laughs> no I, I really ar- can't say... I learned anything from that.
2: <laughs> As someone who went to real space camp and not this like ghetto space camp you went to, right. I I can tell you that that wouldn't have happened at real space camp. NASA <laughs> wouldn't have let that happen to you, Naveen. Lovely.
1: I, I hope that's in the NASA brochure.
3: At other space in the face. <laughs> right. At this space camp, your kid will not get hit in the face. So, Naveen, where are you from? I, I'm from Los Angeles. Okay. And now where are you really from? I'm really from Orange County. So
1: So, yeah, I was uh, actually born in the city of Orange, in Orange County, and lived in the city of LA until I was two. But then my parents moved from LA to Orange County, which is where I grew up. And then I went to Cincinnati, which is where I met Roman.
2: Got well, it. but I guess to be rude,
3: how do you respond when you get the question three or four times? Especially with a name like Naveen Gupta, like Orange oh. County. Come on, dude. Come on, dude. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, like, Navin. Uh, where are you from, Navin?
1: Yeah. I remember actually being in a grocery store. Someone asked me this and I was like, Los Angeles. And they're like, no, nah, but you got something in you. Like, really? <laughs> yeah, my mom says I'm special. <laughs> <laughs> Can you see that? Like you have x-ray vision? so yeah i mean so my parents are from india we're from the north so we're punjabi the way i respond to that question is i assume you're asking me where my parents are from and so they're from india and they came here to the united states in in the 70s they've been here for a long time like they've been here for long enough that their relatives in india tease them about their american accent
2: one of those awakenings i had i didn't go back to india much as a kid but was when i went back with my dad in my 20s and my dad was always like this pinnacle of the Indian man and this recognition that, oh, all our family in India views him as the American, you know? <laughs> so what what did you want to be growing up? Because we'll get into this, but you're a pretty entrepreneurial guy, and I got to figure out how, where did that come from? Like, what? What you want to be when you
1: were a kid? Yeah, I mean, so, and maybe this stopped at space camp, but for a long time, I thought about being an astronaut. (laughs) Getting hit in the face does that to people. And uh, I mean, besides that, I've always had a huge interest in science, but also an interest in storytelling. And so coming out of school, I was lucky enough to be an undergrad at the time of the first dot-com boom. And at that time, the world was changing and I just thought it was so exciting. So I went to school to study biology and biochemistry, but in parallel, I had a bunch of jobs that were like dot-com jobs and slowly grew more and more fascinated with that side of the world. And so when I graduated with my degree in science, rather than going on to grad school and then becoming a PhD, I got into the business world. And my first job was at PNG, which is where I met you, Roman.
3: I love it when our guests are like, that's where we met you. Rummin and Friends is the other name of the show. Roman and Friends, yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) Believe it or not, that was when I didn't know what the podcasts were going to be. That was one of the ideas for the name. Just you and all your friends? Well, what draws me to people when I want to become their friend or when I want to go deeper with them is there's something interesting and unique that I don't have in me. And and that's what I really want to dig into because, yeah, sure, you're a science nerd. Yeah, sure, you got the corporate job back then where we met and sure you have one now, but you and I lost touch for a few years and mm-hmm. we knew about what each other were doing through our mutual friends. But every time I'd hear about what Naveen was doing, it was not the straight and narrow path. And I, I mean, that is a compliment. And some of the stuff we've explored working on together in the past couple of years, there's always an edge to it. It's like, well, why can't I do this? Well, why can't I just figure that out? Can you, and I definitely want to talk about some of the things like you've dipped your toes into, but like, where did that come from? Because, like, mom and dad said, be a doctor. Like, I I don't know about your family, but it's like, where did that entrepreneurial itch to try a bunch of different things come from?
1: Yeah, actually, I would say that it's a generational thing in my family. So as far back as we can trace our family history, we've been entrepreneurs. And actually where my family is originally from is what is now Pakistan. So during the partition, because we're Hindu, we were forced out of the country and both sides of the family had to reestablish themselves in India which is not easy to do, but they've always had this uh, mentality of I can get this done or I can figure this out. And that translated from my grandparents to my mom and dad. My dad went to school at IIT Kanpur in in India. And then came here to the United States to study this really fringe esoteric science around computer science in the seventies. And everyone in the family was like, what is this? But he did it. And the same thread carries through to my mom. My mom went to college back at a time when in India, most women didn't. And in fact, she was the valedictorian of her school. And I believe that there were fairly mixed feelings about that at the time. But once again, her mentality was, I want to do this. And so I can figure this out and I can get this done. And that's really been the way that they've conducted themselves, and they passed that down to myself and my brother. And I, as I started actually pursuing things in the entrepreneurial realm, what I realized is that there's never been a better time in human history to be an entrepreneur, because there's so much information and infrastructure that you can buy off the shelf today that didn't exist 5, 10, 15 years ago.
3: So you've come a long way from that glider moment.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that, you, you could say that, yeah.
3: Yeah, a little bit, right? What did your parents want you to be?
1: So for a long time, as as many Indian parents, they wanted me to be a doctor. Also, I really loved biology and I was interested in science. So that was the vision that they had for me. Or just in general, something in science. My younger brother grew up with a passion for business since he was a little kid. And my parents wanted him to be a business person. So when I hear this story for other Indian kids... Their parents were dead set on them being doctors because that's the thing to do. And I think for my parents, it was more like, this is what we believe in to be and has an aptitude for Mm -hmm. versus this is what we feel will be successful for the family or something like this.
2: What was the first way you actually made money just because of the entrepreneurial bent or psychology in you? Like,
1: What was the first job that paid me or what was the first business that actually made money?
3: (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yes to both. Yes. Okay. So my first job was at a place called Zia Mortgage and I was 15 years old. And looking back on it, I realized what a crazy experience it was. But at the time, I didn't really understand what was going on. So the guy who owned this company would hire kids, 15, 16 years old, to cold call people and try to get them to refinance their mortgage. And if they were interested, then it would be passed back to the lead room which is where the folks who actually had licenses would try to close these people on refinancing their mortgage, and I actually got fired from that job. So I, I got fired from my first job, and I didn't realize this as a fifteen-year-old. Is is like the people who were in the lead room, owner included, were actually getting drunk, like they were drunk on the job all the time, and the owner of this company. Would come into the call room and sit in a chair and yell at us for not making leads. And I got fired because he was sitting in this chair yelling and screaming and he was like moving around in his chair and he fell out of his chair right in front of me. And I laughed and then I was fired. Oh. So that was my first work experience. Didn't start working on an auspicious note, but
2: <laughs> I just want to say I have to ask a question because you use that word. I feel like it's a word that only Indian people use. <laughs> Auspicious? auspicious?
3: Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm like... really trying to think if that's true or not. I mean, I've always I, I known the
2: that... definition of the word. Again, you're not an old Indian man or woman with an accent. I mean, but auspicious is just a word that only uncles and aunties it's use. It's very,
3: yeah, it tends to come from people that are more spiritual and probably <laughs> primarily Indian. I'm, I'm like, no, do all Asians do it? But yeah, primarily Indian. I think I think you might be right about that stereotype.
1: <laughs> I, I think You're that's because so in Indian culture, there's a lot of mind paid towards the right times to do things. Like when is an auspicious time to do something exactly. and run this in weddings and all kinds of things. <laughs> that's a big part of it. So maybe that's why. Well, so that was the first
2: job. What was the first business?
1: Yeah. So the first business that I started is a business called Dr. Bees, and it's still running today. And the formation of it was I was working at the time at a place called Guthy Rancor. And one of my responsibilities was leading the dietary supplements business. So I had learned a lot about supplements from the supply chain through how they're sold. And I actually left that company and joined another and felt like I could try to do this myself. So I partnered with a friend of mine and we started this company called Dr. V's and we wanted to create supplements around the uh, turmeric ingredient. And so we ended up developing a line of products that feature turmeric and today we have the number one selling golden milk powder on Amazon. And so golden milk powder is a turmeric product that you can mix in plant-based or dairy milk and it gives you like a turmeric.
2: But th- there's a little bit of audacity to that. Yeah, it's something you said earlier. It's like never been easier to do that. Like you say all those things and I'm like, "Yeah, but you got to figure out how to do this and you got to figure out how to do that and you got to figure out how to do that and you got to figure out how to do that." Like, what gave you the gall? <laughs> That's really what I wanted to understand like how do you have that bone in you like to, to go chase down the five or ten things to go do that and then list it and then market it and because you have a day job and you have other things to do with your time no
1: it's from a couple of places one is is that what I've learned is uh, complex problems can be broken down into small steps and so you actually don't need to figure out the whole thing at the beginning I'm I'm comfortable and have become increasingly comfortable with the notion that I don't know it all, but I can figure it out. So I find that what's the toughest part for most people is to take the first step. And so I take the first step and I will continue to to make forward progress until I hit something where I say, you know what, actually, this doesn't make sense. So I'm okay putting it aside, or I'll continue going until it actually, you know, becomes something. So that's one is, is that I'm very comfortable taking the first step and comfortable with the notion that I can figure out the rest. The second is, is that. And I find this more and more as I get older and maybe people's communication preferences change is I get a lot out of picking up the phone and talking to people, especially folks who have done this before. So my bias is I like to pick up the phone and ask people questions and you'll be surprised. Most people are totally willing to tell you how they do things, especially entrepreneurs. From the outside looking in, you may think, well, this person's never gonna divulge their secrets or why would they do that? They're just creating a competitor and actually that's not true. The vast majority of entrepreneurs that I meet are more than willing to talk about how they got to where they got, and and also all the stuff that they tried that worked, but more importantly, all the stuff that they tried that didn't work. I find that oftentimes when we talk about business, uh, entrepreneurship or success in uh, starting something new, we see where the arrow landed and then draw a bullseye around it and say, this was my intent the whole time. Aren't I a genius? And that's very rarely true. It's messier. Much more so. And I think it would enable a lot of people to realize that it's messier than they believe. Well,
2: and one of the projects you and I worked on, you did that. You literally like, well, I'm just gonna pick up the phone at this nonprofit and call them and see like what they want this thing. And I remember the way you wrote the subject line is like, can we help you raise some money? <laughs> and they yeah. like they, they got back to you like licking a split. Like,
3: yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but when people want to tell you more, it's because I invested all this time in figuring it out. There's a greater ROI maybe not just for me, but for everyone around me, if I can help them avoid some of the mistakes along the way.
1: Definitely. I think that's a big part of it. Sometimes starting a business can feel pretty lonely. So sometimes you just want to connect with other people who have the same interests. Besides where Dr. B's ended up, I mean, we didn't start it with with a vision of creating a line of golden milk cutters. That's definitely not where we started. The product is different than what we had originally thought. But anytime I come across someone who knows about Turmeric, likes it, or is generally interested, I love talking to them because I'm interested in it too. So a part of it is just what your interests are and connecting with other people who share them.
2: Well, and what's interesting is when we were working on our project, uh, I was like, oh, we should probably set up an LLC or something. And it's like, "Ramen, I already have like five. (laughs) Like you have like...
3: (laughs) Your taxes must be really complicated,
1: Naveen. <laughs> well, actually, what I told you, Roman, is I'm like, please, no. Like, I don't want another entity. Let's try to figure out how we can work this for as long as possible in one of these things. Yes.
2: But And so how do you get to the idea? And I heard a little bit of a second ago, like to, you're willing to chase something down and and then you're willing to throw it away, right? Like we had a thing that we were working on, that, but you were unafraid to throw it away because you were more interested in the journey of getting there, the phone calls that you would get to have. And we didn't do it. And I'm like, ah, I'm a failure because we didn't do it. (laughs) But it's, and again, that's what led to the rekindling of a lot of our long conversations. But I guess the question is, Naveen, how do you make the, the choices of, I want to go chase this turmeric thing down. I want to go chase this political thing down. I want to go chase this Amazon thing down. Like, What's the, call it the gut criteria that makes you say yes to some things and no to others?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think my first criteria is, is this something that I'm interested in learning about? There are many, many facets of this world that don't hold my interest and some that do. So that's probably the first layers is that hey, is this exciting enough for me that I would want to spend my time on this? And then the second is, is there a viable path? Like, can I identify enough steps along the process that I feel like there's a viable path to getting this done? And really, that's mostly focused on the front end. So like, can I identify the one or two things I need to figure out before this would move to the next step and the next step and the next step? If it's really amorphous, or even if those first two steps give me negative signals, then I don't mind walking away from it and trying something else because I have no shortage of ideas. I have shortage of time. And I I find that sometimes I've stuck around things too long when I could have said at the beginning that, hey, this is going to be a tough road. And there are probably other places that are going to be a better use of my attention.
3: So you're driven by curiosity and for learning things that you don't know. 100%
1: yeah that's a really fair characterization of what's important to me is I want to learn about many different things especially with an emphasis on how something happens Mm -hmm. or what drives something and if something is interesting to me and I can learn about it then for me that's a win even if it doesn't turn into an actual something on the market
3: at least I got to learn about it. So you're not driven by the idea that whatever you're building launches. And I'm saying that with like so much shock in my voice because I'm like, what? Do people like you exist?
2: Well, no, but is it fair to assume that it would be great if it succeeded and you'll only keep chasing it down if there's a viable path to success? But massive success is a fringe benefit because doing the work has just as much value, it sounds like. Yes,
1: that's absolutely true. I mean, I'm not going to lie and say I don't care if things make it to the market. That's not true. I, I want to see the impact of what I've developed. And actually, I I want it to be out in the world. But if I don't get that far, I don't count the rest of that time as wasted. Yeah. At all. That's not my primary drive, is to make a billion dollars. That's a nice to have. Yeah, that would be great. But that's not actually like what's at the top of my list. I would much rather do interesting work. How many interesting things are
3: you working on right now? At least five. He's got five (laughs) LLCs.
1: No, so, so I started three companies, and all of them are still running, and they're uh, cash flow positive. They're in different states of management. So I'm more active in one than I am in the other two. And then I generally have ideas that I'm always kicking around. So right now I'm kicking around a couple, and I've made a, a couple of the first steps on one, but we'll see how far that goes.
2: And to be very clear, and then you have the day job and then you have the husband job, right? Yes. <laughs> what's the split i gotta ask what's the percentage split in your waking hours
1: these things. Yeah. I mean, I would say probably in terms of importance, the husband job is number one, number two is the day job. And then number three is all my other hobbies and interests. (laughs) Landing on that split though has been an evolution. So one of the companies I started is called PureWell, and it's a venture-backed digital health company that's focused on preparing for and recovering from musculoskeletal surgery. And my now wife, then fiance moved to San Francisco to start this thing. And it's hard, especially healthcare. In year three, the JP Morgan conference was in town, which is a big healthcare conference. I was at a meeting with an account that I had been chasing for a year, and I got a phone call from my neighbor, and the phone call was, Naveen, you've got to come home. Neeti, who's my wife, has been hit by a car.
3: Oh my God.
1: And I ran out of where I was and came home, and I mean, she was out walking our dog. She was, she, they had both been hit by a car. They we're in the crosswalk with the crosswalk signal on, it was just the person wasn't paying attention. And so we rushed to the hospital and I remember sitting in her room that night and feeling so guilty about all the times that I had prioritized work over her Mm -hmm. because you don't know. I I woke up that morning thinking it was just a regular morning and she did too. And so it was through that process that I rearranged my priorities to where they are today. And she's fine, by the way. She's she's totally fine <laughs> now. She's yeah. like made made a great recovery. She's a very dedicated person, so she really focused on uh, recovering.
2: But it, it's it's so a metaphorical shock to the system, right? It's yeah. like
1: whoa, whoa, whoa. What are the priorities?
2: What are really the priorities, right? I, I was listening to some other podcasts and they were saying, you know, the project, the PowerPoint, whatever the thing you're working on today, you're not going to remember it three months from now. You might remember all the walks with your dog, or et cetera, right? But Where I take a little umbrage with that is like, yeah, but there's other things... I'm not going to remember any individual PowerPoint. I'm not going to remember any individual business meeting. I am going to have felt the effect of those things incrementally stacking up. And so, again, the, the family matters more, but it's it's not work to live or live to work. They both fuel each other, right? And you just have to make
1: the right choices.
2: I've been thinking a lot more about that stuff this year where we've all just been shut down, you know?
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that you can draw a clear line between the two. I think that's not realistic. Is to say that right. one matters 100% and the other matters nothing. I don't exactly. think that that's
3: realistic. Exactly. Um, Just like how I hate saying this out loud, but not every moment, every second that I spend with my children is going to be a memorable or even a meaningful moment. You know what I mean? like, True. It's I love them dearly and they are more important to me than anything in this world. But whether I'm standing in the bathroom while they're brushing their teeth or my husband is, does that outweigh... I don't know, something else that I could be doing. Like, so not every, not every little thing is equally weighed in that way.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. And I think for me, what's important is my ability to look back at the way that I've thought about allocating my time and, and, Thinking that I made the right choices, knowing that right. not everything is going to be a special memory, like you said. Yeah,
2: I'm, I'm going to pull a Rajiv and totally do like a name drop, but I was talking to A.G. Laffley the other day.
1: <laughs> oh, there it goes. Name no, drop. like he just gave you a call to just to, to rap for a minute.
2: <laughs> oh, kind of. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> wow. We're, we're trying to get him on the other podcast, but he said something and I'm sure other people have said this. He's like, I, I've gotten out of the habit of managing my time and it's been about managing my energy. Mm-hmm. And I really thought about that a lot because it's like it's like the amount of time to read something versus the amount of energy it takes to read something or do something, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as I get older, I, I think about choices in terms of not just time but energy. It's it's a broader function, but they're equally important things. And sometimes you need to do a low, even like this podcast, right, Sharon? When we first started, we were running and gunning and doing so many things for it, and I was listening to less podcasts, and I found the hmm. conversations we were having with people were not as good because i wasn't like refueling my energy yeah by other things yeah. right it was just all intense work 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 the, the secret comic book podcast that ryan and i do he says something is like once it starts to feel like work are we doing as good of a job at it and again yeah it's a function of energy and time and, and putting it into it we're off on a tangent here naveen uh, i guess i want to ask another question like again without getting into the companies unless you want to but it's what are the types of spaces you've been playing in, or or what are the spaces that interest you the most? Because the thing we were playing around with was, was honestly politics and activism. Like, so what are the different types of things? It's not all healthcare.
1: Yeah, although I could say that the companies I've started has something to do with healthcare or <laughs> fitness, but the other. Part of what generally interests me is, I like to do things that allow me to stay sharp or experiment in different ways in marketing. But besides that, that's another part of what generally holds my interest is, is there a unique or interesting way that I can bring this to market? And if I can experiment with something new, hey, all the better. And then besides that, I have interests in different ways in which I think the culture could progress or things could change. Like what? How does Naveen, you're king for a day.
2: How should the culture change? How should the culture progress?
1: So this is tough to put in a few words, but I think that we are expanding our view of what consciousness is. And I think that that view extends to animals and to human beings. And I think that has implications on aspects of mental health, but then also how we explore who we ourselves are and the way that we treat the world around us. I think for a long time, we've, viewed consciousness as an on or off switch. And I don't believe that that's true. And I think as that thinking proliferates into how we view ourselves and the world around us, I think that that is going to cause a shift in culture. So that's, that's one. And I know that that's like the most nebulous, crazy thing. No, you got to say more, go deeper. Like say, say that in a way that uh,
2: I don't want to say that our, our moms totally probably understood that more than I would say that
3: in a way that <laughs> a 10 year old would understand it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think that there's going to be more and more solutions that allow us to not rely on animals for meat or produce. I mean, you've already seen it in lab grown meat and plant based milk and all that. But I think that over time, we may we may come to.
2: So it's an empathy for sentience.
1: Yeah. I, I think over time, like if you watch Mad Men today and you see yeah. Don Draper smoking and drinking in the office, you're like. Dude,
2: it's a Mad Men argument. You're making the argument, though, about consciousness. It's. The same way back then that they like, Hey, you're pregnant, smoke a cigarette, it'll make you better. And then the science has taught us you shouldn't do that. Smoking is bad. I actually think the health argument, I've watched Forks Over Knives, I read Michael Pollan, right, et cetera. But it is this idea that it's literally not healthy for us to be doing this thing. People st- look, we know cigarettes aren't healthy, but people are like, Ah, I like to have a cigarette when I drink or whatever. Like it's a vice, it's an acceptable vice, but we know it's bad for us. So in public society shouldn't be doing it. But I think the argument you're making is the conscious argument, the pro-life argument for animals is going to be made more concretely in the next, the culture is going to move and shift towards that, not just from a health perspective, but from an ethics perspective. Yeah,
1: I think so. There are definitely health benefits and those are probably the near term. That's what the near term sell consists of.
2: Yeah. There's going to be the winning arguments from a marketing perspective. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I do think that over the long term, let's fast forward 40, 50 years. We may look back on what we're doing and say, oh my gosh, how could could we have existed with this amount of cruelty in the world? Yeah. So that's one of the things that interests me in terms of the culture. What do you
2: think that means to to merge your two identities? What does that mean from a business standpoint? Does that mean you're like, you're long on beyond me? Like and plant-based, like innovations in that space?
1: Yeah. So I think innovations in that space, I'm definitely log on them. And even besides that, like, look, a lot of things like Impossible Burgers and Beyond Meat, I mean, they're not necessarily good for you. It's still highly processed food, but I think innovation in that space is going to make it a lot easier to accept diets that are less based on meat and animal byproducts as, as the transition is made. Yeah. Didn't Impossible Burger just launch at McDonald's?
3: Yeah. I saw something like that. Or like if it wasn't McDonald's, it was some other fast food joint.
2: Again, taking the conscious immorality out of meat consumption for a second, I do think the health and environmental elements of meat consumption is really what's going to change the game from an adoption standpoint because it's gonna be an acceptable, expensive, tolerable vice. It's the cigarette example, right? Like Yeah. Again, but, but look, even Steve Jobs can't escape cancer. Like, and he, Again, he had pancreatic cancer, so it's a very different thing. So no matter how rich you are, but I watch and read a lot of like near-future fiction, things like The Expanse, which is a popular TV show now, right? But the books. Yeah. Worms. And in this future where Elon Musk style, we have populated the solar system. And again, sounds science fiction, but just project 100 years out and then also project 100 years back. 100 years ago, they never would have thought we'd have computers in our pockets. But in this 100 to 200 year from now future, there's literally a supply chain of how do you you can't do factory farming on Mars or in the asteroid belt, right? It's So you right. can still eat a steak, but it's something for the elite and for the super rich. And even they acknowledge that it's bad for them. And you do it once a year or something like that. So I, I do think the economics and the health things are, to your point, are probably going to sell it more from a practicality standpoint. Um, yeah.
1: And that's interesting. As we colonize places beyond earth, you're right. Having a steak is going to be a huge luxury. So I agree with you.
2: Or, or an organic farm-raised steak, not a yeah.
1: vat-grown piece of meat, right? But right. just what all the people true.
2: in the future are eating, right? like vat-grown True, proteins. true. <laughs> really and then hurtful. the other
1: one that interests me is climate change, but specifically around how extreme weather is going to affect people. My parents moved to Austin, Texas a little over a year ago, and ironically, they moved there from Seattle to escape the cold weather. And I was so worried about them in this whole freeze and with the with the power going off. I mean, they had to be in their home for three nights with no heat until A friend of theirs took them in, but weather is getting more and more extreme and we're going to see more human migration as where people live is flooded or affected. So I think that's going to be another big aspect of our culture that we're going to deal with more and more.
2: I want to dig on something more just because we're in like super nerd territory, which is fine. (laughs) Someone from my other podcast, you turned me on to this guy named Gurcharan Das. yes. Uh, who his episode's going to air, it will have already aired by the time your episode is, but he wrote a book about the practical use of dharma in business. And him and I had a long conversation about it, but you're the guy who recommended him and his book and told me to literally lit my brain up on this guy. What is your take, But based on everything we just talked about, like dharma, what, what does dharma mean for you? I, I mean, give, give us the 10-year-old explanation, but also what was the unlock for you when you read some of this guy's stuff?
1: Yeah, well, so as he says in his book, dharma is complicated. And <laughs> so... For folks who may be listening who aren't familiar with you could liken it to the concept of duty.
2: Cosmic duty.
3: Cosmic duty. Yeah, cosmic <laughs> duty.
1: And this is a lot of what underpins some of Hinduism's core texts, specifically the Mahabharata and the Ramayana. And so what this gentleman did, who actually also happened to be the CEO of PNG India, is he studied the Mahabharata and then wrote a contemporary interpretation of how you could apply what it was trying to say about dharma to a modern context.
2: In business and politics, et cetera.
1: Business, politics, society. And he talks about class anxiety. He talks about the role of governance. And the reason that I was interested in it is because growing up as a Hindu you're taught the Mahabharata and the Ramayana through a very black or white lens. It's,
2: it's like taught like um, a comic book. That's how I read it, literally.
1: Yeah, it's made simple for you. Good versus evil. And probably rightfully so because you're not mature enough to grasp the subtleties and the gray areas of what it's trying to point out. I think what's powerful about what he wrote and about this concept in general is is that Hinduism is very focused on choice making. And it's focused on the idea that human beings have a choice, not an edict necessarily. It's about how do you navigate the difficult choices in life? Because those choices are a part of the human condition. And when we bring that back to like a concept like Dharma, I believe that one of the points that Mr. Das was making is that in many situations, it's not going to be immediately obvious what the right choice is. And so you have to look at it from different ways.
2: Yeah. It's not the- It's not a cookbook. And it's not your gut. Your gut might not always be right on this one. You got to play the long game on the choices that we make.
3: Yeah. And so in that vein, Naveen, you've come such a long way and, and it's so interesting hearing what motivates you. And we joke about your five businesses, but you really have branched out in so many ways- because of this innate passion and curiosity. And I'm wondering if you were to look back on your younger self, what is a piece of advice that you would give to him? Yeah,
1: I think a piece of advice would be, don't forget yourself. And I I feel like that uh, advice can feel trite, but it's the truth. The older I've gotten, the more mature I've gotten, the more I've realized that if I'm true to what actually interests me and drives me, then I'm generally a lot happier than if I'm trying to do things to please someone else or to live up to someone else's standard of who I ought to
3: be. That's great.
2: I don't know, Sharon, what do you think? You think we're ready for speed round?
3: I think he's earned it. Naveen, (laughs) are you ready for a speed round? Okay. Wrong (laughs) answer. No one's ready for speed round.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Naveen, what's something about you that people don't expect?
1: Oh, gosh. I would probably say... People are often surprised at the variety of things that I like to learn about. It's a pretty wide range of topics. Yeah, so, professional
2: ADD. I have it yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly,
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I you know, many, many strange subjects hold my attention. So uh, people, people don't <laughs> expect that from anyone, <laughs> not just for me.
3: I, uh, I would totally agree with that. Hearing you say that, yes. After listening to you guys for the last thirty minutes or so, absolutely. Naveen, what is a book, movie, or television show with characters that you can relate to?
1: Gosh, there are several books and TV shows. I mean, in the pandemic, gosh, I don't know about you all, but I think I'm hitting the end of Netflix. So I've seen so Send much- Said the guy without kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You both have kids. The pandemic is such a different experience if you don't have kids. <laughs> I'm sure. But I would say that actually this book by Guruchan Das, and it's called The Difficulty with Being Good, has a lot of characters from 5,000 years ago that you will actually find yourself relating to. So that's one that sticks out for me. But there are a couple of other TV shows that I think are, are great. And I... what's been a guilty
2: pleasure on your completion
1: of netflix there's a tv show called snowpiercer that's based on the book that's quite good and the movie and the movie yeah and the movie that's that's quite good and then i just finished lupin which i thought was awesome nice
2: what's your favorite mom dish oh rajma
1: it's a punjabi dish made made of kidney beans that's easy yeah,
2: <laughs> that, it takes forever to make the, to make it. I've tried making it. I just I don't stew it long enough. I don't make it right.
1: It's a very typical Punjabi dish, and it is like comfort food for me. And actually, whenever I go home and see my parents, like that's probably the first thing
3: that my mom will cook for me. Oh, she loves you. She yeah, and I love her. <laughs> you you better. What's your least favorite food? <laughs> you know, I don't love mushrooms. Mushrooms, raw, cooked, any, like cooked any way, grilled, Yeah, all mushrooms. Um, I'm
1: just, I'm just like not a fan of mushrooms. I'll have like a mushroom soup, which I yeah. like, but in general, something about the texture is off-putting for me. I was going to um, say, why I is gotta, it
2: surprising is because you're a vegetarian and right. like, and as someone who has, I, I can like switch into a vegetarian diet very easily. And when I do that, mushrooms, just like, I already love mushrooms, but it's just, it's such a mainstay. It's like a
3: staple. Yeah, because yeah, it is such a meaty. It's such and a meaty vegetable, mushrooms. right? Yeah. How about, how about how about the other types as of as mushrooms? As well. I guess you don't have to tell us that on the podcast, but just curious. <laughs> <laughs> that's a longer conversation,
1: especially
2: when reading Gertrunda. Yeah,
3: yeah, mushroom tea. I don't that's know. a longer
2: conversation. <laughs> right. Who's someone out there that you would want to interview on a podcast?
1: Yeah. So, is this a suggestions of who you should interview
3: next? No, it's basically it's if, if them. Yeah, we'll take it.
1: Gosh. I would love to actually speak to Matthew Weiner, who's the, he wrote Mad Men. Yeah. Did you ever watch his show?
2: After Mad Men, he did a show about all the people who thought they were related to Catherine the Great. Did you hear about this?
1: No, but wait, is that on HBO?
2: I don't even know if the show ever came out. I just remember reading the article about him making the show, so. That's pretty cool.
3: What does being a modern minority mean to you?
1: Celebrating who you are and where you come from and working alongside the other folks in this country to make it a better place for everyone. You know, my my parents moved here in the 70s and they love America because a lot of things about this country they found to be really refreshing. The optimism, the opportunity. And I think we've got to be vigilant around ensuring that those, those aspects of American society are available to future generations. And and I think we've also seen through the pandemic folks rise to a sense of civic sense. And I think that's really important. So that's that's what being a modern minority means to me. That's great.
2: One of Thanks so much for just, I don't know. It's been far too long and I'm glad we got to nerd out for far too long again.
1: Yeah, me too. It was just so great to be able to talk to both of you and hopefully I'll see you both in person sometime soon.
3: And that's our show.
2: Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform.
3: Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three.
2: Want to learn more? or got something to share. Visit modmypod.com or email us. Hi mom at modmypod.com.
3: You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you.
2: Now, here's a preview of our next episode.
3: I honestly felt like I scammed my way in. Even when I moved to LA for honestly like eight years, I was ashamed that I liked the music that I liked. I wanted to like smart people music.
0: I was like, Susie, your power chords aren't complex. Like the Weezer riffs you're learning, nobody else likes that. And I was just like so ashamed. I didn't even tell people I played guitar when I moved to LA, cause I didn't feel real. And then like I just let go. Yeah, give me, give me the guitar. And then I just started <laughs> writing stuff and started making music. And I was like, whoa. I can play the guitar. I've owned it more. Like, I'm, like, really proud of it and really happy on, on the music that I grew up on.
2: That's it for now. I've been Roman Segel.
3: And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony.
2: Remember, we're all modern minorities out there.
3: We'll talk to you soon.
0: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why?